Doris Kearns Goodwin, author of Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln helped the North win the Civil War, but was cut down in April 1865. What if Booth had missed? We'll ask this question and others when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment. And yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard. And when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality, to begin living a life you love, visit thevitalyou.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Our guest today is Doris Kearns Goodwin, author of Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Doris, we've been talking about many of the things Lincoln accomplished in his uh, administration, and we ended up uh, where you were discussing Lincoln's racial attitudes and how his uh, reluctance to argue in the 1850s for civil rights was not unrealistic given the, the attitudes of the time. And I thought that was a very interesting point because Lincoln, as a lawyer, is very careful with the language he uses when he debates Douglas. Uh, he never says at any point, I believe uh, black people are inferior to white people, but he, he acknowledges that this is a widespread prejudice that people have and that he doesn't see how you can have equal social and political rights. And as, as the point you made before the break was that it did take another hundred years before those could generally be granted, so Lincoln wasn't being unrealistic, uh, unfortunate, but not unrealistic in making that prediction. Now, the question I'd like to ask in this context is, suppose Lincoln had not been assassinated in 1865. What do you see might have happened in the rest of the second Lincoln administration, especially in regard to the freed slaves? Wait, say that again, Gerald, what? Let's say there's no assassination 
Right, right, right. Uh, what happens with the freed slaves? How does Lincoln treat them differently than Johnson, uh, Andrew Johnson did? Oh, boy, of course, you know, that's the big question that everybody would love to know, that wonderful historian's question, what if? You know, people have often said to me sometimes, just as a side issue to this, that, you know, what if you could be with Lincoln for, you know, an hour? What would you ask him? And, you know, the, the responsible question is exactly that. I'd ask him, what would you have done differently with Reconstruction? But I suspect what I would simply do would be to say, Mr. Lincoln, please tell me some stories so that I could see him come alive and watch him laughing louder than anybody else and slapping his knee and really feeling that sense of him coming to life again. But in serious answer to your question, I guess, you know, all one can know about Lincoln is what he was trying to institute before he died. And he did have this feeling that he wanted, you know, the Southerners to be brought back into the Union with as little disruption as possible, as long as the rights of the freed slaves could be somehow guaranteed. And even though some of the radicals in the Republican Party, you know, didn't want to let anybody who had been in a position of authority or even a teacher or a lawyer in the South to be able to come to vote or to be part of the political process, he was not of that opinion. I mean, he thought it was critical to get these people back supporting the Union again. And so one has to hope that he would have been more able somehow to, you know, to mitigate these problems that Andrew Johnson had. Obviously, Johnson didn't have the political skill to do this. No, and, and Johnson had different political motivations as a former Democrat as well, certainly. Right, right. And, he, you know, I think Lincoln had put him in as vice president, hoping that as a military governor from Tennessee, from the South, as a Democrat, that he'd be able to bring a union aspect to the ticket. Um, but obviously Johnson had not had anywhere near the skill that Lincoln had had and, you know, it would have been so hard to deal with the peace process after the war, but at least Lincoln would have been the victor in the war, so he would have had the authority that came from that underneath him, and he would have had his political genius. So one has to hope that somehow there would have been a gentler transition for the South, yet protecting the rights of the blacks, and maybe some of the scars that we still see today, you know, might not be quite as visible. That's certainly a... Not an unrealistic thing to imagine that Lincoln might have been able to accomplish. One of the things I really liked about your book, I thought, was the, uh, the the way you discussed the events that are going on in the Civil War, at without uh, spending too much time on them. But what I'm getting at is a, a comparison to another book I won't name. Uh, I recently read that attempts to look at the entire Civil War and advance a particular interpretation of it. And as I was reading this other book, I, I thought, you know, there's no need to tell me all about the Battle of Fredericksburg in this book because <laughs> you know, to I be honest, know that. You know, I knew how many books had been written about the battles before and didn't feel that that would be a strength because I wasn't sure I could really understand, you know, people coming in on flanks or whatever it was, the military jargon that would be necessary. So I made a deliberate decision at the start that I would try and take Lincoln wherever he was to the battlefronts when he went and do as much original research as I could through the newspapers, the diaries of the cabinet members who went with him or anybody that was accompanying him. And then it would often be when a battle had just taken place to then refer to the battle but not necessarily feel that I had to deal with it in prime because I knew I it, it would just be the book would be unhandleable. Even now people tease me that you know, you have to, it's big enough that you have to carry it with a, you know, a roller bag in the airport. <laughs> you imagine if I did the battles, too, what it would be like. Well, I, th I think that was absolutely the right choice from a reader's perspective. The, uh, 
you, you describe in, in some detail when Lincoln goes to visit General Hooker's headquarters at the Army of the Potomac. That was an incident I don't think I'd ever read about uh, as clearly before anywhere, and I could really picture the weather and the conditions and the the review that takes place. So I thought it, it's beautifully described. But the Battle of Chancellorsville that follows is given in a few the battle itself gets a paragraph, and the whole description is based on how Lincoln hears about it in Washington. Right. No, that was real. That really was a, you know, very early on a conscious decision. That you know, I knew that a lot of people reading this book know Civil War history, and so that they could understand. You know, all I had to do was say what was hoped for in a battle, what didn't happen for either side, and then deal with it from Lincoln's perspective or the cabinet guy's perspective when they went down there. And you know, the extraordinary thing about Lincoln going immediately to the battlefront after a battle particularly was lost is that he understood the need to shore up the morale of his troops, to walk amidst them in their thinned ranks, and to go to the wounded in the hospital. And somehow I think he got strength by seeing them so that when he came back to the White House, even if it was a battle that was lost, he could then communicate his own belief in the future of the war to the American people. So I loved being able to do as much original research around his trip and deciding, okay, the battles I'll leave to all these other legions of scholars that know it far better than I. Well, I, th- I thought that was sort of a wise choice. I think people listening to this show, for example, will uh, know plenty about uh, Chancellorsville and Gettysburg and even uh, Wilson's Creek, for that matter. And uh, someone who attempts to describe those in a general history is going to just end up trying the patience of those who already know and not really enlightening those who, who would know much more than me i'm sure yeah. you know it just well the wonderful thing is though when you get into this whole field of research is that now whenever i am in the south to be able to go to a battlefield you know even if i just know a little bit about it it just comes alive so there's whole new layers of meaning and history that have opened up for me because of this whole civil war study so it's been really wonderful you mentioned Lincoln going to hospitals. You also write about Mary Lincoln going to hospitals. And you have a very sympathetic uh, take on Mary Lincoln. Did that develop uh, as you did the research? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what happens with Mary is that we all know what happened at the end of her life, that she did seem to become unstable, that her son Robert committed her to an insane asylum, that she was out spending money that she may not have had. and 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 yet I think what that undoes is the understanding that earlier in her life she really was, I think, pretty suited to him. I mean, she loved politics, she loved poetry, um, she was really a good companion for him, but once she got into the White House, I think there was just no room for her to stand on, because the Southerners, of course, distrusted her being married to Lincoln. The Northerners distrusted her because she had four stepbrothers, who half-brothers who were in the Confederate Army. The Easterners looked down on her because she's a Westerner. And then when she loses their son, Willie, in February of 1862, she really never recovers from the depression of that loss. And yet she does, as you suggested, eventually come a little bit out of her shell and go to the hospitals, And which was an extraordinary thing to do because when you read about them, I read Whitman's diary entries of going to the hospital and Louisa May Alcott's and the, the smell and the sights and the, just the whole atmosphere must have been almost impossible to absorb and many people couldn't do it and would turn away, but she bravely went there many, many days, but unfortunately for her, did not allow the press to follow her on these trips, so the country didn't know as much of what she was doing. So she she didn't get the publicity benefit from... That's from... right, exactly. Today, they would have handlers who would be following her every visit, and exactly. she'd be made into a heroine for so doing. Speaking of modern 
technology then uh, you and I were both in Springfield this past February uh, did you go through the new museum there I did what, what did you, you think of it I, I think it's a wonderful introduction for people to Lincoln and I think about a whole new generation uh, especially of young people who will be brought there by their parents and will really respond to the liveliness of the exhibits and you know the, the feeling of place that you get from here's where Lincoln spent time when he was 10 years old and and all the different exhibits that take you around till the end of his life and you know somehow you can instill a love of history in a kid I remember when I was at only seven years old and my parents took me to the Franklin Roosevelt Library and I remember seeing his glasses on his desk and I said to my father you know he can't be dead he left his glasses there he's gonna have to come back and get them then I went up to his bedroom, and they show you a chaise lounge where the dog Fala used to sleep, and his leash and his blanket was there. And once again, I just said, he's got to be around. We've got to find Fala. And somehow I, that memory is so sharp that I keep thinking that maybe there'll be some young people who will go into that link, and they've had extraordinary coverage. I mean, there's been tons of people coming through. And, you know, whether or not it meets the standards that some scholars might have wished it did, I think more importantly, if it opens a you know, an insight and a, and a love of history in young people, it's done a great job. And, and absolutely, if it does get people to to read something, to travel somewhere, to, to deepen their interest, that's all wonderful. Absolutely. That, I mean, it's not meant as a college education, you know, so that it's meant to just, you know, whet the appetite. And it really does, there's lots to learn there. I think, I think they really did a good job. It, I was so it, glad to be there. Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed my visit there, I'll say. But I, I'm struck by what what got you at the Roosevelt Library in each case were artifacts, were actual things that belong to Roosevelt, uh, the, the, the real thing that makes a connection with the past. And uh, that's one of the criticisms that's been, been uh, raised about the Lincoln Museum in Springfield is that there's a great deal of interesting material uh, presentation-wise but there's not as much of the real thing as one might like to see. I, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't rather go to Lincoln's home in Springfield than the museum myself. No, and I, I always prefer the homes to the museums anyway. I really do think that's probably right because you go through the home and you can picture somebody walking through the various rooms, you know, going upstairs, seeing the parlor, seeing the living room, seeing the, the bedroom, and they become a person, and a museum is a museum. But I guess the problem, I haven't really thought about this until you said it, but the problem is the stuff that is so valuable. That That's true. It, it's a, definitely a challenge. You know, it couldn't be there to be touched and felt. So they no. must have made a decision, and I've not talked to them about this, but that if, since that's true, and so much of that stuff is, whether it's the Library of Congress or the National Archives, that better than having it separated from the public, you create your own understanding of what things were like and hope that that will have a different impact on the people coming in. That's right. And I'm sure many people will will have, will have get a very strong positive impact from that museum. As I know, many uh, hundreds of thousands of readers will, from uh, your fascinating biography of, of Lincoln and his rivals uh, working as a team in the White House. Uh, Doris, thank you so much. Oh, I'm sorry so to see you again. welcome. What's fun to do with this with you, and I hope I see you somewhere soon again. I'm sure we'll run into each other down the road. Our guest today has been Doris Kearns Goodwin, author of Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Doris. Take care. Bye. <laughs>